You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode 12 of the MVP Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with Office Apps and Services MVP, Gareth Gudger. Hey, this is Christian Buckley with Collab Talk, and I'm here talking today as part of the next uh, episode here of MVP Buzz Chat with uh, Gareth. And Gareth, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Christian. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Gareth Gudger. Uh, I'm an Office Server and Services MVP, although I primarily focus uh, in Exchange and Exchange Online. Um, I've been an MVP since 2016. I've been in the industry for about 20 years um, and uh, kind of go by the... Uh, you know, the old, I guess the, the other part of me is a super tech boy. So maybe there's a little bit of a, a superhero theme behind, you know, somewhere there. So you need to be wearing a cape. I mean, it just, <laughs> I, I just would assume that that would be the case. I, I was kind of thinking, you know, do I want to go for like a, you know, a Captain America shirt today? Um, but, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a little cold. So I got the sweater on today. Well, and you're in, so you're losing your accent. Yes. But you're, so you're in that weird place where you don't sound American and you don't sound like, so you get crap when you go and visit extended family as well. Oh yeah. And it didn't even take that long. I mean, I've been in the United States for about 20 years and um, actually just a couple of years ago, I decided to become a U.S. citizen. My wife had always said, Hey, you know, maintain your British citizenship. Maybe we'll go live in England one day. And, you know, after 20 years, you're pretty much rooted. So uh, you know, I decided, hey, I'm going to become uh, American. And um, really, the two things that gets me uh, the ability to do, uh, you know, aside from getting, uh, you know, at, you know, kicked out and on the wrong side of the wall, you know, shouting at the kids, hey, I'm on the other side of the wall. <laughs> um, the, the only things that really gets me is the ability to vote and the uh, ability to also uh, be on a jury. So I actually got my first taste of the uh, democratic process. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I came over to the uh, United States when I was 19. So I'd actually never even had uh, been part of a British general election. So this was my first general election for both countries. It was a very uh, cool experience to finally be able to vote after all these years. That is exciting. And, and uh, have you served on the jury yet? I have not done that yet. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm looking forward to that. I, I guess it'd be kind of cool to do it the first time, but uh, hopefully I'm not one of these people that ends up, you know, I hear these horror stories. They're getting called up all the time. So hopefully that doesn't happen to me. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I, so I've been on two now and I've been in, uh, I've had other court experiences of, of suing and, and thankfully winning and uh, but the uh, you know, just fun business stuff. Um, but it is, uh, I've never been one of those where like, oh, dreading it. It's actually, I love the whole experience. It's just the reality when you're in the middle of the project, when there is a true hardship around that. And so I've, I've done the thing where I've, you know, the timing was bad. It had other travel, had to delay it a couple times. I think the second time you have to get permission to say, be like, look, really, this is going on. But um, but then was able to go in and serve. And it was only like, uh, you, know, you know, two days of time and it was, it was over pretty quick, but it's a great experience to go through that. And yeah, I hear the horror stories uh, that I hear from some people. It's like, you know, you don't get picked or something, but then you have to stay at the court sometimes and you're not allowed to leave. Is that, is that true? Or yeah. That... And yeah. And I, I mean, I just bring a book. Okay. Um, if you're, you're sitting there and no, I mean, generally if you don't get selected and you're, you're out and gone, it's not a big deal, but 
I mean, I've heard some of those stories too, where they're just uh, like, oh, we've got your time. And I mean, sometimes it could be because they may put you into a pool for another um, case that's coming up, depending on the judge, you know, so. But uh, I know that's all very exciting and not what we're here to talk about, of course, but it's a, no, it's very, it's very cool, but it's, um, you know, well, um, you know, congrats on, uh, and you're becoming a citizen over here and participating in a very chaotic time in politics. Yeah, I was told, I was told that I wasn't officially allowed to chant like USA, America, until I became a citizen. I heard that was uh, <laughs> only to citizens. So, yeah. so now I can, I can do the whole chanting and stuff. So. Well, uh, yeah, so you in the, this space, so you're, 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 so you're office servers and services, uh, MVP and you know, what are you talking about and, and excited about you know, lately? Kind of what are the topics that kind of, you know, uh, have your interest, you have your passion right now? Yeah. So um, I think from a more higher level overview is that, you know, uh, obviously this is the, you know, we're almost getting to the, getting close to that second quarter of 2018. And now we're looking at potentially all the 2019 products coming out, whether it's just Exchange 2019 or Skype for Business 2019, or even, you know, uh, more on your line, SharePoint 2019, and then in the office suite as well. So I think, you know, second half this year, we've got a lot of new stuff coming uh, out on-prem, you know, a lot of stuff that's been forged and developed in the cloud. And, you know, it'd be interesting to kind of see what, you know, we don't have too much information on that yet, but it'd be interesting to see what features get pulled back into on-prem. Uh, so I think it's really exciting to kind of, you know, hey, what are we going to see, you know, in the next six months, uh, you know, coming to uh, on-prem? That's a great point because, uh, you know, people that don't work, uh, you know, very closely with Microsoft and understand that, that while they may talk about something six months, 12 months in advance, but to your point, I mean, we, even the, the product team may, up until the night before announcements go out, they may go in and rewrite some of the blog posts and announcements because they say, hey, you know, that feature is just not ready yet, and they'll pull it back from that, that general availability. It's really interesting how that process works. And so there is a little bit of surprise that comes with once it actually goes live. And because, and also Microsoft is, uh, you know, actively talking with, MVPs and customers around the previews and yeah. taking that feedback and making changes up until that release time. Yeah. And it's amazing what the tap program does, uh, you know, and, you know, for anybody. Maybe describe that for people that don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So the tap program is great because, you know, it's basically a technical preview. If you want to be bleeding edge, you can put your, you can sign up your organization to become, um, you know, part of that technical uh, preview. Uh, now there is obviously some, some stipulations, right? Obviously you're under NDA, so you're getting code before uh, it's publicly available. You do get a support, you know, a team of support engineers if you run into issues, but you, you kind of have to be uh, on the hook for, hey, you're going to put this latest and greatest stuff into your production environment. Uh, so you've got to be willing to almost be, uh, you know, a bit of a guinea pig there. So, you know, you can be cutting edge, but again, it also helps you to help shape the product a little bit. You're getting, you know, if you are a company that isn't a TAP program, you're, you have that, you know, direct, um, you know, path to the backline engineers and the product right. uh, manager and stuff like that. And you can almost help shape the product a little bit and give advice, say, you know, this feature needs more work. Uh, you know, I'd like to see this. So you know, there's definitely a lot of benefits. Um, but again, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's hard even for me to try and find the customers that are willing to go uh, into a TAP program because again, it is production. So 
Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, that's always the difficulty with dog fooding software. I mean, that it, it, when I was in a Microsoft employee, uh, and we would get you know told all the time like you must be on this what we now refer to as like the fast ring, you know, of the of the of the online service to go and get the latest and greatest version. But the problem is when you're busy. And I my last organization, I ran an operations team and had engineers and PMs and. Uh, and, and we were customer facing, we owned the API program for the ad center platform and, and to when, when we couldn't, uh, we, every day there were meetings with outside clients as well as internal customers. And when your system, your laptop breaks because you're, you know, something is going wrong and Skype starts, stops working internally or whatever the, the, the solution is just windows breaks down is frustrating. And so. Uh, you know, I would always push back and delay, delay, delay on that just because um, I didn't have a need to be on that bleeding edge of here's all the latest things. And I, I was busy working. Um, yeah. And so that is something to take into consideration with the yeah. program like TAP. It, it ha TAP has to be a business decision. It can't just be, hey, my IT guys, uh, you know, it can't be tech led. It can't be IT led. It has to be business led. Um, you've got to have business buy-in for it because, you know, potentially, like you said, you are putting your organization at some level of risk. I mean, obviously they've had multiple rings and multiple internal dog fooding themselves. Um, but there is a potential that some of those bar bugs are going to make it into those tap builds. So, um, you know, you've got to be prepared for that. Well, And there's the other reality just that Microsoft can go and test and test and test, but until it hits those real world scenarios. And that's why they have a program like that, that they have partners that are looking at, the partner solutions against that new code, as well as other, you know, uh, you know, just enterprise use cases of the partners themselves. And that's why you have a combination of these ISVs and SIs. So, you know, independent software vendors and strategic integrators or consulting companies that participate as well as large uh, uh, end user customers. And a lot of times what they'll do as a large customer, if you're, for those that might be interested, is that they will have it running with like just a you know a separate farm or a you know a separate tenant for in, within the cloud so that it's not you know uh, causing issues with their production environments across all employees but they have it segmented over a, in, in a different uh, space and that makes perfect sense but to your point it is still it's production code so it's you know, that's, that's what Microsoft is looking for, feedback from people that are using it in production, not just running test scenarios on a backup system. Right, definitely. So that's, you know, besides, I mean, there's a lot coming out this year with 2019 releases. Anything else that's kind of, you know, maybe out of your wheelhouse that you're looking at and saying, hey, this is just really cool. Yeah, I'd say that the, the biggest thing I like is in the, what we're seeing in the service is going to be the multi-geo stuff. And that was obviously something that was mentioned back uh, at Ignite in September. Um, you know, I think it's still, you, you may have to keep me honest here a little bit. I believe it's still in preview, but I think it's going GA almost imminently, if not already. Um, but the yeah, nice thing- right. I know the timing of it, but I think you're right. It's not, it's not yet um, GA. Yeah. Uh, and, and the cool thing about multi-geo is, is it's, it's perfect- uh, for customers that have uh, data residency requirements. So, you know, we've heard a lot about it, data residency, uh, you, you know, in various news forms and, and how that's an issue. So, you know, it gives uh, customers the ability to, you know, especially for multinational companies, you know, say if you've got, you know, 
maybe your headquarters is, is in the United States and that's where your home geo is. That's where the bulk of your users are. And maybe you've got uh, other users that are in uh, other countries. Maybe you've got users in France or you've got users in, in other countries that have certain data residency requirements or maybe in Australia. You can then move that user's mailbox and OneDrive data into those other uh, regions. Now you can't pick what data center you're in. You can't say, you know, for example, the U.S. I want to be West Coast, East Coast, you know, Dallas or wherever. Uh, but you can say that I want to be, you know, North America. I want to be, uh, you know, in, in Europe somewhere. I want to be in, in Oceania somewhere. So you know, it really helps. I, I think that Microsoft's making some really great strides here, you know, with these data residency requirements. And I think we're we're kind of seeing more and more countries starting to write this into law. I think there's at least two countries now that have it where it says, you know, the data has to be, you know, within our borders. Uh, and, and I would honestly, I'm going to, I kind of predict more, we're going to see more European countries that are going to have that, not just to, hey, this data needs to be in the EU, but potentially maybe even this data needs to be inside our country. Um, now, well, it, it, it's not just that that, that that requirement saying, you know, the data must be within it's and then how it's handled and the differences this between the standards. Of course, there's a lot of talk about the GDPR, which, you know, happens. Uh, what is it? May 25th. Of, you know, so it's coming up very quickly. But South Africa, Australia, several other countries are coming up with very similar standards. So even though they it may be like zones where that data can, you know, needs to um, be housed or the data centers must be within that country or within a region that's approved as part of those standards, even just the way that Microsoft is handling that, which is why you see, you know, handling um, data, why you see these, these you know, geo uh, features becoming available, you see the rapid expansion of data centers. I mean, I was in South Africa in October last year, and they've got, I don't know when the, the, the dates are, but you know, two data centers going live in country this year. Yeah, um, yeah they're, they're constantly bringing them up all across the globe. Um, and, and I think Microsoft is trying to, you know, help countries write law that makes sense as well. So it's kind of two pronged. It's like, you know, okay, we're going to give you this feature, but, you know, they're, they're trying to work with countries to say, is this really, you know, what are you gaining from this? Um, so I know Microsoft obviously does a lot in the legal space, you know, with different countries, um, you know, to try and, you know, guide them on, on what's best. But I think the, you know, some of the other things to point out about the data residency as well. I mean, it's definitely going to be great for those multinational companies that have to have their user data local to them. It's not really a performance thing. Actually, it's not, you know, Microsoft will tell you it's not for performance uh, gains at all, even though potentially, yeah, you could have some performance gains. Really, um, the, the whole purpose of this multi-geo is for your data residency requirements. If, if you need a performance gain, you need to look at stuff like, hey, is my local country going out for a local internet and not shipping all of its you know instant you know internet traffic right. back to the u.s or something like that right that, I, that's why you know going and doing understanding your your architecture and and how your organization collaborates is so critical around that so one you may be meeting those by having your data in country it could be then impacting dramatically impacting that that user experience so you have to just understand the implications of uh, of making a move like that I mean, one of the oldest uh, uh, scenarios, a customer that I had when I, I left uh, Microsoft in 2009, uh, early, so in 2009, started working with my new company, a, a client with um, headquartered in Sydney, offices in San Francisco and New York, and, uh, and then in the UK, and they had other different locations, but they had a very complex process just because of the way that they were sharing data 
Um, and some of the rules even, you know, back in 2009, 2010, when I worked directly with this client, um, of, of what data was where, and that they had this set up, this complex migration uh, replication processes in between these systems um, to, to, you know, uh, to, to ensure that you know, the, the data was updated with the way that they were collaborating. And it yeah. was, you know, they were looking forward to being able to move to Office 365 to improve some aspects of that. Uh, and but when they did, I mean, they they experienced just the nature of the way that they still the rules and the way that they, they needed to collaborate, where they then went and looked at WAN optimization and other ways of of improving on that performance because it was a major issue. Yeah, and I think what and I've certainly seen this scenario before, and I think this is what Microsoft's trying to eliminate is that you know is these is these weird hybrid scenarios at least for exchange and i'm i'm sure OneDrive as well where uh you know it's like okay my headquarters is in the united states maybe that's where 90 percent of my user base is they're all in office 365 but maybe i have 10 percent of my company in australia uh we can't move the data to our home geo in the united states and so what you'll find is that 10 percent stays on maybe exchange servers and file servers in Australia. And I think that's really what, you know, your data residency requirements are really fixing is, you know, Hey, how do we get, you know, this location to not have these on-prem servers anymore as well. Um, I think that's really what it, what it fixes in a nutshell in a lot of ways. Right. No, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting um, as uh, one, as just, uh, you know, I think the, 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 data uh, management, the rules, the laws change because while you have a, you know, a couple different, well, the EU and a, a few other um, countries that are really out there being very specific, you know, with, you know, hey, these are the things we must have. It's changing things around the world. It has a lot of other countries that, you know, were, were fine with the way things were or just didn't have, you know, uh, legislation forward where they're now rethinking this and saying, hey, we need to look at this. And little issues like, you uh, the way that the Facebook data was uh, was grabbed, it's on, in the news right now, um, has a lot of uh, you know, governments looking and saying, you know, hey, maybe we need to look more closely at doing something similar to what the EU is, is passed about. Yeah, I think, and I hate to say it, but I, and I think this is why, you know, like I, I made the point about Microsoft really trying to get into the legal system a little bit and help countries guide them. Because I, I really foresee if they didn't do that, and, and maybe, you know, what they're doing is, is not going to help, but hopefully it will. But I, I really foresee this domino effect of, hey, you know, this country does it, now a next country decides to implement it. And, and it, until you know it, you've got different laws for every single country when it comes to data residency. Um, and I think the biggest thing about GDPR that is kind of interesting, I think the, the real big thing, and not just even really Office 365 or Microsoft related, is you know, some of the requirements of GDPR that say that you know, uh, potentially you know, whoever it is, whether it's your clients, your vendors, they should be able to uh, find what data you have on them and then be able to request that data to be removed. And I think those are really the bigger uh, bits of GDPR that I, you know, I'm trying to figure out how a lot of vendors are actually going to solve that. Yeah, I, it's, uh, I mean, I, I just go through this experience with a service that I use um, that uh, leverages Twitter data and, uh, and the, the, there's the standards just around, you know, even we, you know, like Twitter is now requiring, hey, if you're going to go out and utilize this data, which is public information, it's out there, you can go in and add and, you know, change what's around your profile, but how it's used even has to be, 
you know, follow certain protocols, which is limiting then a lot of these other services that go in and, and use this. It's just, it's, it's bringing, all these things are bringing to the forefront. I think, again, it's, it goes through kind of cycles, but you know, what of my information is out there, what control do I have over that? I don't know if you're spending any time in the identity side of the whole blockchain conversation, but I mean, that's what that they're trying to focus on and, and fix right there is saying, give the ownership, the control of, uh, uh, you know, of your identity, no matter where it is, whether you're signing up for Facebook or LinkedIn or sending your medical records to your doctor, that you control your identity and the information that's allowed in those uh, you know, in, in those services, in those transactions. Yeah. And I think that's why Microsoft has really tried to, I, I think that's why they built the service the way they did your source of authority for all, you know, your everything identity is going to be Azure AD. And I, you know, they're also trying to work on this a lot. Oh, well, sorry, actually it released in exchange 2013 and 2016 was the hot, uh, hybrid modern authentication. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really because the exchange product group, group wanted to get out of, um, you know, basically the identity space. They didn't want exchange doing identity anymore. They said, hey, let's do hybrid modern authentication and push this off to whatever identity provider you may have, whether it's third party or, or whatever it might be. So, you know, I, the hybrid modern office is, is really kind of nice because you can kind of leverage the same authentication that you're using in Office 365 for your on-prem exchange. But yeah, I really see that push where, and, you know, at least for the exchange product team, they're just saying, hey, let's get out of identity. And right. I think, other workloads, I'm sure, are doing that as well. And it's and it's there's going to be some hiccups. I mean, I, I personally, I'm experiencing that where I have. Um, so I'm a big uh, Microsoft Teams user, uh, and I have three separate um, logins. So my company and two of my customers, where I have an email and I have a an, a separate login to their tenants. So this isn't guest user access um, that is to my Collab Talk you know ID, my primary tenant. There's, I'm actually having to go, and there is no easy movement between those tenants. I have to go in and log off and log back in. Well, I'm actually running into problems where it's not letting go of, uh, of, of cookies. It's not letting go of the, yeah. the profiles, and it's, uh, it's, it's painful. Um, I'm unable to move cleanly between those just by logging out, logging back in. So yeah, there are yeah. still some kinks to work out. Yeah. And I've even had those issues with Yammer, you know, just trying to, you know, you know, as consultants, right, we're usually juggling between various different tenants. So a lot of times you've got, you know, this browser in, in private mode, this browser in another mode, yep. uh, or if you're into Chrome, maybe you're using different profiles, right? you know, but you know, I've had yeah, situations where I've logged out, um, you know, uh, you know, of one tenant logged back in and gone to something like Yammer and it's still logging me in. Yeah. With the last tenant I was in, I'm like, that's, that's crazy. Right. That's got to get fixed. Yeah. It's a, so I'm, I do the, that's, that's why I'm still using Chrome, the resource hog that it is, but it's because of those different uh, profiles and it just yeah. makes it so easy to move in between them. But it's, yeah, it's there, there's no, uh, I just, we're, we're dealing with it. We understand the complexity of a, a lot of those issues. Microsoft is working on it. Um, there's a, you know, and it's just uh uh, it, it's something I'm, I'm definitely thinking about maybe where I look in, in the it world and I'm a marketing guy in the it world. I've been in this space for 30 years, but I'm still a marketing guy. However, I'm still doing things that are more complex than the typical uh, end user power user. And that I'm having to, to have 
20 tabs open, different profiles set up as I'm moving between these different things and, and sometimes, you know, testing out different, you know, software solutions, partner solutions that are in there and it's, and it makes it messy. Uh, and I'm, you know, it, even I'm finding the limits of what some of the, the, the capabilities are. And that's where I, I tell people constantly, and I have to remind myself to do this, is, is to make sure that we're providing that feedback back to Microsoft so that right. they are getting that. So um, going into Microsoft tech community, going into user voice, uh, you know, talking with your contacts, especially us as MVPs reach out to the people that we've, you know, have relationships with inside Microsoft and let them know, hey, I'm experiencing this, you know, are there other answers that are not yet out there fully? Um, you know, what else can I do here in between? Or you know, are you seeing this scenario? And I've brought up where I actually at MVP Summit, I got an answer to something from the engineering team and it was wrong. <laughs> Went back to the client and we're like, nope. That, it, that nope, that's not it, and uh, they're like, "Wow, okay," and we're still it's it's a work in progress. Um, yeah, I have to emphasize the user voice. It feels like there's so many people that don't know that exists. Yeah, um, but you know the you know I was also at MVP Summit, and the the product groups say that they really do look at what's at user voice, and and also look at, and kind of prioritize based on what has the most votes. So. Yeah, there's a feature that you really want or something you want fixed or changed. You got to get on user voice. You got to vote. Uh, I would also recommend searching for the thing before you post right. it. Yes, well, that's, that's essential. See, right. Yeah. A lot of times you see the, you know, the 20 odd items that are all the same thing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the MVPs recently got a hold of uh, a feature that we've been wanting as MVPs for a long time because we've always hearing about this client ask is to have a, a unified email signature across any Outlook or any app that we're using. And that was kind of uh, spearheaded by um, Jeff Guillet, one of our fellow MVPs. Um, and we've taken that from about 1,000 votes all the way up to 5,000 in about a week. You know, there's a third-party solution for that. Yes. <laughs> uh, what, what are we plugging? <laughs> oh, I just, I, I'm just a fan of it. Is uh, you know, they were a former client, um, but Exclaimer out of the UK. Oh yeah, yeah, Exclaimer. Uh, uh, you got Code Two. I mean, yeah, there's a few different things, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and that's not to take away from their business model. I mean, there's still things that even if we get this unified signature, where you know somebody can set up their profile, you know, set up their signature in Outlook, and it's the same one they get on their OA for, or sorry, Outlook for iPad or Outlook. Right. for whatever um you know the main thing is we just want the signature in the mailbox and we want it to be the same across all devices right. uh, i mean there's still plenty of stuff that exclaimer and code 2 are doing where they make these beautiful signatures yeah. with um all the social now, now you're pitching. all right so yeah and then they track yeah and then they track yeah. all your social you know yeah. all that no, there's a lot of cool i know there's a lot of add-on to that but yeah look i just experienced that where i set up my uh, a new laptop and went in and installed that it's my profile I'm actually having a difficult time adding a second Office 365 account to, that's a maybe we'll talk offline about that issue yeah. if you've, you've seen it. But the fact that I'm having to then go in and copy paste in these different environments, you know, those signature files that should be part of my profile, but. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's the problem is, is it's, it's a local thing to your computer. So, you know, you got to wipe your computer, you get a new computer, it's gone and it has to be copy and paste back in there, usually from your send, one of your send items. And so that's really the, you know, what we're looking for is just that what we feel is basic functionality where, 
you know, you know, every time you set up a new Outlook profile, your signature is just pushed down or it's, it's there. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of fun, just the, the things like that, that are, um, that have a lot of impact on, especially small business. Like it's a, it's, it's a big deal to go and have to deal with those kinds of things. And Microsoft, I think is doing a great job at going in and, and, um, solving a lot of these repetitive, uh, you know, these, these issues that have been kind of this, the traditional IT management of Exchange and SharePoint and OneDrive and other things. And, and it's great to see a lot of this incremental value that's being added. But when you see something that's there, that's breaking something that's, that's, uh, that's causing you time and, 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 you know, time is money. And, uh, uh to make sure that you're providing that feedback back to Microsoft and it's going to the right place. So again, go to the Microsoft tech community, search for the discussions around that problem. And then as you said, uh, go to user voice, search first, make sure that it's not already there. I've found a number of things where I've gone in and found the item and then added my vote. Yeah. Um, and it only takes, I don't know if you know, knew this, it only takes what 10 votes for Microsoft to respond to it, to look at that. Um, so if it is something that's new, post it to user voice. Then I suggest go to micro to tech community and post the fact that you've done that over there and, and, uh, canvas the crowd to go and vote for your items that Microsoft then responds. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. You want to get promoted up because you know, a lot of times it's, you know, uh, when we were doing it as MVPs, we were hitting Twitter and stuff like that. And then the amount of people that were responding to our Twitter comments or adding comments to the poll were just like, oh my gosh, I've always wanted this. Or I've always, you know, it, it, and, and, and then it doesn't always translate over to the user voice. It's like, yeah. it's like you need to promote that fact. Yeah, yeah it, it's shocking how many, uh, like I said, how many people don't know about user voice. So I'm glad we're giving that a lot of air right here. It's like, yeah. go, go, go find something and vote on it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's actually, every time I do, I, that, that's my habit too, is when I go over like for something intentional, then I go through and I look and see what's new, what's being discussed, be like, and, and I find things like, oh yes, yes, I've, I've experienced that and vote up on another, you know, a, a couple other things. So um, definitely take some time to, to go take a look at that. Well, well Gareth, I, I know there's a, a lot what we covered in here, but how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Super Tech Boy, and that's uh, tech is spelled T E K. I like to be a little bit edgy, uh, and then also, edgy. yeah, yeah. yeah I got, I, I've also got the uh, uh, the blog, which is uh, supertechboy.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn if you search Gareth Gudger. Apparently, there's not another Gareth Gudger in the seven billion people on this planet. Wow, so find me really easy. Wow. Uh, and then also, my I, I work for Blue Chip uh, Consulting Group. Uh, our website's bluechip-llc.com. And thanks a lot for your time here, Gareth. And I, I know that uh, it's the, the weekend for both of us. I'm going to go back. I've still got a, uh, a long list of my honeydews uh, to, yes. to accomplish today. So, but uh, it was great talking to you and connecting with you. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks.